Welcome back to Haven't Seen It. We're starting back up our Alfred Hitchcock uh, week monthly series with Rear Window. Haven't Seen It with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today, that is Tommy watching Hitchcock's Rear Window, one of the few Alfred Hitchcock movies that I've ever seen before we started doing our monthly segment. I yeah, think uh, the goal is by 2030 to see every single Alfred Hitchcock movie ever directed. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is just eventually just going to become an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. Um, so far, I think every um, movie we cover is the first time I've seen it. You never seen Psycho, so that is on our list eventually. So that's a, uh, that's a hot. That's there's a certain month that I think, uh, yeah, Psycho will play well into. I also do just want to bury the lead here. Uh, I have been smoking five packs of cigarettes a day for the past seventeen million years, and that's why my <laughs> voice sounds so terrible today. Uh, yeah. just caught up with me today out of into the blue for it's definitely not just some virus going around it's because i smoke five packs of cigarettes a day it's an expensive it habit tommy don't don't do it it doesn't help at the time of recording there's a crazy wildfires from canada coming down in the northeast uh where i'm in so uh my allergies are act up too so i'm gonna try and mute all my sneezes i can this recording <laughs> yeah i uh i saw that that's pretty wild uh all the the smoke coming in i saw a picture of the yankee stadium with the game going on and it looked it looked like the the born of the apocalypse like the cinematographer's yeah. dream if we're gonna be honest it's it's um, a great like fucking imagery i mean i'm seeing the cure in a couple of weeks i've been listening to Matan, and today was a great day for me just dive into the cure's discography <laughs> just pure uh goth energy right now that's <laughs> guy out there so tommy it hurts um <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks. We had Memorial Day off, and then last week was just we had recording issue or timing issues. Uh, so it's been a couple of weeks, Tommy. Uh, I'd love to hear a couple of the things that you've seen. I think we'll do. Let's save the full conversation uh, for across the Spider Verse. We both saw that, um, mm-hmm. but let's just give me a couple rapid fire things that you went and saw and did. All right. So uh, past few times I can uh, list off what I've seen. I, I've watched uh, 30 Days and Night. Um, that movie was kind of a mediocre vampire movie. Uh, I watched The Machine, the Burt Kreischer movie, which I thought Burt Kreischer was actually pretty funny. I mean, it wasn't an amazing movie or anything, but it developed what I expected, which is a couple of funny laughs. He's a great uh, one of my favorite podcasters out there, Burt Kreischer. And I think he delivered what you expected, just a decent, funny comedy. So we um, also I watched uh, the Keith or Sutherland, uh, Jeff Bridges uh, remake movie from the 90s called The Vanishing, which was just a very bizarre and odd movie. Uh, I, I only listened, uh, watched that because Bill Simmons recommended it on the Rewatchables podcast. So I was like, oh, let me check it out. And it was like, this is pure 90s trash. What the fuck am I watching here? <laughs> and that's why Bill Simmons loves it. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what I get. One of the movies I went and I went back in theaters and I saw it, but we're going to cover that when we cover another movie in that franchise later this month. But another movie that I did go see in theaters, I I saw it. It was not by my choice, but I did see The Little Mermaid. 
the, the uh, 2023 live action remake of the little mermaid uh so what's your first reaction yay or nay oh <laughs> uh, it's a it was a nay going in it was a nay going out uh, it was better than i thought it was going to be like if i went in blind i would have given it a half a star out of five yeah i ended up giving it one out of five so well, when's the last time you saw the og little mermaid because it's been like you, since i was a kid <laughs> since i was a kid but like the the runtime of that movie is the original is 86 minutes and this one was two hours and 15 minutes long oh, um, Jesus. it's a bloated mess the cgi does not look good it looked better than i thought it was going to to be honest but uh and melissa mccarthy had some fun in there that was pretty much the only highlight for me there was that horrible Aquafina rap that was going viral on Twitter. Uh, it was even worse in the. I didn't even know she's itself. in the movie. <laughs> she plays the the bird uh, character. Uh, super annoying. I, I have a very big moral issue against these Disney remakes because they're moral. just they're <laughs> yes no because it's just there's no artistry to it. It is just here. We are making this strictly to make cash and they're investing $500 million into it and they're not even reaping their their full, they're not getting the full profit back on it. Like this is I mean, going to be a loss something, for Disney. Yeah, there's some things that just like it doesn't make sense. I mean, like I could see the Lion King, the only defense I could see for the Lion King remake was as a technological experiment. That's the only way I could see it being defended, but that movie was just unnecessary i watched it during quarantine and that probably made my quarantine a little bit worse to be honest so um it's just like i don't know it's just like one of those things that just disney just realized that there, there's a cash cow for this i mean jungle book did fucking amazing and then they were like all right we can do cinderella we can do peach dragon we can do uh fucking everything lion king beauty and the beast i mean beauty and the beast you know was the big hit that they had from those live action remakes and jungle book did really well mm-hmm. but i would even say jungle book is like b-list in terms of their animated movies like uh, it was a hit but it's not I, I wouldn't put it in like their their mega titans of those animated where like they weren't yeah like, the milking cash crowd like grabs I, like like on in all the parks and stuff i mean at least at least there's like some creativity in some of these ones where like mulan isn't like a straight one-for-one remake apparently yeah, like, uh, I, I heard them i heard the mulan one is horrendous um yeah so i mean that's what you get i guess apparently <laughs> <laughs> so yeah do not go see the little mermaid live action remake it is unless you know that you like the music in those movies then you'll have a good time but yeah. otherwise you you know if you want to see it and you know if you don't yeah one of those so, movies but of all the movies that all the movies i talked about see the machine burke crusher is good so <laughs> i want to see the machine i still it's on my to watch list but a movie i did see was across the spider-verse Tommy, I'd love to get your thoughts because for me, Into the Spider-Verse is a top three superhero movie ever um, made. Can't give a slight spoiler, I guess. Yeah. Of like yeah. The end. Oh, spoiler yeah. alert. The whole thing's been... It's kind of I, a hard I, movie not to spoil. This, this is this is the only thing I can say that's like slight spoiler is that the fact that this movie had like a total cliffhanger and to be continued just like fucking gave me so much blue balls right there where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I remember like uh, I saw this at a packed theater uh, and like I was sitting right next to uh, uh, some kids and like I remember the kids like vocally said out loud like, like what? Like, come on, like seriously? Uh, I don't know. So, I mean, that was kind of just a total blue ball moment right there. But, I mean, this movie, I mean, like, they really ramped up the animation style. Like, they racked up from, like, what the um, Into the Spider-Verse was. And they really just made this, like, such a 
artistry of just like different uh you know animation styles different just like uh, how gwen stacy's world looks like um spire gwen's world looks like watercolor paintings and stuff like that um overall the cameos were really fun i mean this was just a great continuation for into the spider side i feel like yeah i mean i think it was up to par of the original i i still think the original is better far and away yeah um it's it's a more uh streamlined story in the it's, it's a concise story and like it didn't have that moment of like the the what's up danger moment from the original when like mm-hmm. miles finally believes in himself and like the movie just builds up to that moment the entire way yeah this doesn't really have that but it, like the mashing of like 150 different art styles into one animated movie is really impressive um another fun story i like that they dove deeper into gwen stacy like she's co-leading this movie it's not just yeah it's not just miles's story it's both of their stories um it's it is kind of like uh to be can determined how this movie is because it's going to end up being a five-hour mega movie yeah essentially it's this is a part one uh i mean i i honestly forgot that going in because i, I think I, I read that like before i was like oh this is gonna be part one of spire verse forever and then once i once like a continuation thing i was like oh yeah shit this is a part one <laughs> yeah it, it, i i will give the movie's cliffhanger credit for being like like i was sitting there like oh oh yeah okay yeah and then it just but so the, the discourse continued. Yeah. yeah and i was i was like i was ready to i figured it i knew that the whole thing wasn't going to end there because i was like getting like this feels like it's about the runtime and then but i and like i'm very curious how they're going to open it because like it would be a lot after building your entire movie up to that moment to then just start your third movie right at that moment. Usually movies that end on cliffhangers, they like bring yeah. it to a close. And so it'll be interesting to see how they bridge that together. And especially I, I, if they're kind of want like if they wrote a much larger screenplay and split it into two, how they're like how that'll read together in one. What what's uh, what's been interesting is how many people have been reacting uh like online to discourse of like uh the cliffhanger essentially of just people being like, Oh, this is awful. I mean, like me for myself, I did feel a little bit of blue balls because like fuck, like I would have loved to see just the end of this movie because like I could have just stayed in this world for a while, which is a testament to the movie. But overall, I mean, like you think Empire Strikes Back did this back in the day and it is, it is a very similar cliffhanger. It's not that much far off, you know. It's so, way further off. Um because Empire Strikes Back, it ends on like an emotional high, right? Like they resolve the conflict of that movie, but leave it open to your imagination. Well, there's still there's still lingering threads of like where's Han Solo and shit like that. Yes, but but it but it was like resolved neatly in a bow bow that this ended like a Saturday morning cartoon, getting you to tune in for next week. Where Empire didn't do that. Like people were making that comparison, and I was like, "This, this, these are not two in the same. They are like one. One ended, made you go, what's going to happen to Han Solo? What's going to happen to X? What's going to happen to Y? This one is like, we are in the middle of action here. What is going to happen? Well, that's why I'm curious where the third movie's going to end up, because just like at that point, I almost feel like there's only like 20 or 30 minutes left of the story to tell. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm not we're trying to keep it as spoiler free as possible, but yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious that if like, so I read that it might be just as long as 
across the Spider-Verse, which was two hours and 20 minutes, which is long for an animated movie. I think it's the longest I didn't feel ever. it, though. I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel, feel it. Uh, it's not a complaint about length. It's a complaint where he said, like, it felt like there's 20 to 30 minutes left. Um, but I guess there is, and I guess I'll just play this oh, again. Oh, spoiler alert. There is this thing about the Miles timeline and the spider that it came from. Yeah, that like, whole thing. I think that's where, like, the first hour is going to be before he ends up back in his original dimension. Um, that's that's all I'll say for spoilers. If you haven't seen Across the Spider-Verse, go see it. If you haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, 100% go see that. Uh, both terrific movies. Um, and speaking of terrific movies, we watched another one this week with Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. What goes on behind closed doors when you think no one is watching? Tell me everything you saw. James Stewart and Grace Kelly in a portrait of dangerous voyeurism. Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, Sunday, October 30th at 8.30 p.m., part of TCM's Alfred Hitchcock Week, completely commercial-free, on Turner Classic Movies. Just try and look away. Turn off the lights. Yeah, so there was no TV spot for a movie released in 1954, believe it or not. Well, the, so I actually some Turner Classic Movie that made it feel like it made it feel like some like erotic thriller like oh some like crazy voyeurism going on right here and just uh apparently that was like one of the trivias when i was looking up some trivia for this that like the original trailers for this movie is just lost and um the only one they have is like you know blu-ray trailer um or trailer from like you know 1990 or something like that so and the tcm shit too (laughs) yeah i was so i was like looking it up i mean in terms of an erotic thriller i mean you have James Stewart and Grace Kelly. And, this is as erotic as a movie in the fifties could get. <laughs> and I mean, Grace Kelly is like throwing herself at James Stewart, and he wants nothing to do with it. He is not interested at all. It is very remarkable. Mm. It shows a man's self control. It was. It was just. Ins- yeah, seriously, the fact that he's just like, oh come on, she's like, just literally be like, oh like I'll stay the night. I mean, like the way that I, I always think that the the. Uh, the code, like the authority code, or the fuck it was called from back then, was a lot stricter than it was. Because, <laughs> like, the fact that they were able to get away with this and we were window kind of shocked me. Because I feel like the code would have been like, oh, like you can't have a woman like stay at the house in the same bed of the guy she's not married to. I feel like it would have been some bullshit they would have tried to throw back then. <laughs> I feel like this is towards the the code at this point was more anti-communist than like where a woman sat on the bed. That's like Louis B. Mayer. Like in thirties Hollywood, mm. but I could be but totally yeah. wrong as well. But that yeah. feels <laughs> that feels, you know, in nineteen fifty four there was that little thing called the Red Scare going on in the United States. Uh, so any communist messaging in our movies would uh, not be would not have been released, even in the slightest. But Tommy, I would love to know your initial thoughts of Rear Window. I think overall, this is a movie that like um, is kind of suffers in some aspects of like this is the template for a lot of movies. You, I, you know what I mean? Um, in a way, because like we've seen this type of scenario a lot uh, now at this point, and this movie I think is really good, and I can appreciate it definitely from a historical concept. And I did like this movie; I did enjoy it. Um, but I do feel like 
it's been one of those things that I've seen more modern takes on this. And I've been thinking like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's the tr- uh, tricky thing I fall into when like a pre- watching a very older movie from like the time where it's just like, yes, I can appreciate the historically context, but there's some things in this movie that haven't aged well um, or haven't played as well as it could, you know, in a more modern sensibility. So it's that weird tricky line where like, yes, this movie's fucking amazing. Okay, so it, what what movies remind you of this? Um, well, first off, I think the biggest one is uh, the Shia LaBeouf movie <laughs> Disturbia, which was essentially just like a, a rip off of this. Do you remember that movie? I'm not. I remember I'm not, I'm not, coming out. I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, so it's essentially just the same thing. It's partially inspired by that. There's a movie that came out uh, last year that I think was one of my favorite movies, movies of last year in, uh, in general called Watcher. Um, which was a very similar situation where a woman uh, notices that someone from uh, across the apartment complex of her is watching her from that window or something. So uh, there's a movie called The Voyeurs that came out in 2019. Um, you know, this is just a pretty much a template movie of just like great. Uh, okay, like someone's noticing something suspicious about their neighbors. There's Fright Night in the 80s, which reminds me of this a little bit too. Um, and that's not all to say that all those movies are better, but it's just that I've seen this kind of thing's shaken out a lot. And the ending of this movie, I think, is what makes this movie amazing, um, especially just the amount of suspense that he has. Alfred Hitchcock, for the most part, decided to do this diegetically, which sometimes I think works really well for this movie, and other times I think brings it down a little bit. Um, my main complaint, if any, about this movie is the score, or lack of score, rather, kind of hurts it in some ways, I, I feel like. Um, but I feel like the lack of score is part of putting you in the apartment mm. right? yeah like like the music and, is only filled from the the sound is from what's around the window it's not from it's not just some score to try to keep the audience entertained it's like okay i'm putting you in dobbin's shoes i'm putting you in his wheelchair i i think that perspective yeah i i think that in general it sometimes works, but um, I mean, it especially works, especially in the ending when, like, you have the lack of sound, where it's just the stark uh, nature of just this hearing the footsteps come up to the door, and there's the killer, there's the murderer, and like, what is he gonna do? How is he gonna like? It really is suspenseful, and it still really plays really well. But um, on the flip side, there's some parts in this movie where, like, maybe ten minutes before, when he's watching across the way of Grace Kelly in the apartment, right there. And noticing everything that's happening, and then just the music you hear in the background. I mean, while it is diegetic, isn't engaging whatsoever, and just kind of just makes it seem a little bit unengaging, a little bit takes you out of the movement. I feel like it didn't do that for me, um, just because I was so entrenched into the story. Um, so, if you haven't seen Rear Window, um, James Stewart plays a photographer named L.B. Jeffries. Um, who has a broken leg and his girlfriend uh, Lisa Fremont, played by Grace Kelly comes to visit him and he basically spends his time staring out his window and notices that one of his neighbors might have killed his wife and he does all the investigating he possibly can from his window so that's the premise of the movie and i i think it's crazy is is how many times it's the the notion of did he kill his 
wife, um, the Thorwald kill at his wife was like dismissed. Um, mm. We we had, um, who was it? Doyle, um, the NYPD detective who came in and did the investigation being like, no, that didn't happen. Uh, it also, it made me laugh when Grace Kelly was like, well, he was taking out all of her jewelry. Why would a woman leave without jewelry? You know, it's a women in initiative. And, and he, the detective's like, yeah, that's, that's great. But a woman's initiative, that means nothing. Like, I just I, yeah, I, I literally, the, that, that lab the second, the second I saw that uh, line, I was like, holy fucking shit. Talk about things that hasn't aged well. That was amazing. I was like, holy shit. Like, shut up, Rod. Talk, talk about <laughs> said, talk about things that would not be put in a movie today. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's, like what? Cute. that's cute, hun, but the men are talking. Yeah, but the men are talking. Like I've I've heard female intuition before, and it usually ends up being deadly. Just like, oh Jesus! Well, I guess we know what this guy's all about. Um, what I do like though is that Grace Kelly um, very quickly catches on to what James Stewart's saying, and like you know, ends up believing like I'm James Stewart. How like you know, she's immediately questioning him, I mean, like you know, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, or like all this, and then he just sees across. She sees across the way, and how suspicious uh, Raymond Burr is. And it's just like, yeah, maybe, maybe he did something right here. You know, <laughs> uh, it would have been annoying if everyone, if this was one of those movies where everyone was questioning James Stewart. And I'm glad that we had some characters that, you know, yeah, end his, up leaving him. His housekeeper, Stella, also was like fully enthralled. She's like the town gossip. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, what makes this movie stand out? So I originally watched this movie during COVID. I felt like it was a great COVID movie. Oh yeah, uh, and I still stand by that point where you're just trapped and isolated in one place. Um, <clears throat> just how over the course of a week or whatever it is, seeing lives and like seeing where the camera is being chosen for you to look at and seeing who in the courtyard whose attention we're supposed to be paying to, it kind of helps build this suspense up of being like okay Thorwald is the suspicious one he's the one that we're continually suspicious of but we're watching like all these other people and getting an insight into their lives and while it's like not essential for the plot of the movie it just helps enrich the world of this courtyard of just the day-to-day -day lives of all these people and for me and like I haven't seen a ton of movies that do it quite like this. That's where I feel, felt like this movie excelled where other movies don't in this regard, where you were like, oh, it's good, but uh, you know, it's just been done to death. And it's like, well, this was the first one, and it's probably yeah. still the best one. Um, yeah, it's still it's still up there. I mean, like the problem with like you know, a lot of the ripoffs or whatever is just it's not a fleshed out world, you don't really care about any of the other characters. And maybe it just gets annoying sometimes. Uh, these movies can definitely fall into a trap where it's just like eventually you're just like, all right, I just want to fucking know, is it a killer or not? Like, I, I'm, I just like, just fucking fast forward, give me the information. But this makes it just compelling or whatever. And it doesn't make you question it. This is the best type of thing uh, of a movie of like, is the person next to me a killer or not? Um, they just make it engaging. Um you know, sometimes I love to see in these types of movies if, like, you know, if uh, James Stewart all this time was convinced of Raymond Burr and it turns out, like, you know, there was nothing wrong about him. He's just like, yeah, his wife was out of town or whatever. <laughs> but, like, how anticlimactic that would be. 
well that's why they didn't do that uh yeah <laughs> but yeah i for me it was like i think of miss lonely heart uh the bottom floor neighbor mm. who we see one night just hosting a dinner party by herself and then crying then her going out to a bar coming back with a, a gentleman who then tries to force himself on it on herself on her he she kicks him out and then the next day it what looks like is an attempted suicide um attempt she hears the piano player of the neighbor across the courtyard and decides not to take a second lease out on life and it's like wow that's like a poignant little story that has no bearing on the plot or the consequences but it's just there like it's just these are the everyday lives of these people it's background yeah he likes to just flesh hitchcock's just liking to flesh out this world right here um I do just like think the set of this movie is incredible. And the thing about this was shot entirely at Paramount Studios. Uh, Hitchcock was thinking originally of like, you know, filming this in like some Grinch village neighborhood or whatever. But then he decided instead to just like, you know, have it straight on a set. Um, set designers Hal Pereira and Joseph McMillan and uh, Johnson spent six weeks building the extremely detailed and complex set. It was apparently the largest of its kind at Paramount um, probably at the time. And there's a drainage system for like, you know, the rain sequences in this movie and stuff like that. And just how they just built a whole entire apartment complex. And you don't really know. So you don't think, oh, this is just on some shitty soundstage. It does feel like you're in New York City kind of, and in a crazy way. Not really. Have you ever looked out of New York City apart brownstone and looked into the courtyard? Maybe they looked like that in the 50s. They certainly do not look like that today. Um, well, well, no, it, it it didn't it didn't feel very fake. It it felt like no, it, it, it in didn't feel it it felt very lived in. That is true. Uh, yeah. I was just speaking from somebody that has lived in New York City for a number of years. I was like, where is this courtyard that I could find? This would be magical, but it's usually just like like one person has a backyard patio set up and nobody else uses the space. <laughs> it's a very lived in uh community right there so i mean very very just lively community uh, you know there are events all the time probably out there <laughs> yeah and that's that's the the heart of this movie is just how how lived in the space is like another little through line is the the newlywed couple that moved into the to the right to the left of of jeffrey's and you know they move in and they're like getting romantic and every time you see the guy coming to the window he just looks more and more regretful of his marriage and he already looks like he's over it and it's been five days yeah <laughs> just exactly just little like little details of this movie that just make it just a little better than your average shit so just it's and great you have the songwriter in the studio apartment that looked suspiciously like a friend's apartment window um and they uh were you know he was playing songs one night and hitchcock that's where hitchcock made his cameo in this movie was right was there in that apartment i don't know if you caught that tommy uh missed that little one yeah that's where hitchcock makes his cameo um and then he comes back one night he he comes home drunk and he just throws his music on the floor and then the next day he's having a bigger party and then you have Miss Torso, the ballerina who always seems to be hosting gentlemen guests, but never actually inviting them to stay. And then at the end of the movie, her 
husband comes back from the war, right? And it was just, it was very interesting to see how they also gave resolution to these characters, like the the couple that lived above the Thorwalds with the dog that Thorwald killed. Mm. Uh, at the end of the movie, they get a new dog. And I love like the little quirk that they would sleep outside on the on the fire escape. Like they would take their mattress out. And then the one night it rains, you, you see them panicking, trying to get the, the mattress back inside. And it's just that that's what sticks with me more, more than like the James Stewart being like, oh, Grace Kelly's too good, perfect for me. Like, I can't marry a girl like that because I'll make her like miserable. And I'm like, that's the most backwards ass minded thought I've ever heard in my life. Like, if, if you <laughs> what, had grown, what, if what you is grew, said, you had Grace Kelly throwing yourself, herself at you being like, can you marry me? You're just going to say yes. Yeah, <laughs> what a thrill line. Uh, I mean, what do you think about James Stewart in general in this movie? I mean, like, I thought I thought he was a great captivating uh, performer. I mean, he's probably the only actor I can say that I've only seen his movies because of this podcast. Because um, I haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life. I haven't seen um, Vertigo, which we did last month. I haven't seen this all before we did the podcast. And each time he gives a different nuanced performance. It's I'm appreciating the cult of James Stewart now. <laughs> He's my favorite of the golden age. And I, I probably still haven't seen enough of James Stewart. Um, maybe we'll do some Capra as well. Like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, throw that in there. Like it's interesting balancing these older classic movies and with modern stuff and kind of seeing how they how they age and just like the performances, but you know, somebody like James Stewart, I think he, for the most part, ages well. I'm sure if we did a whole deep dive into his catalog, that wouldn't always be the case because, you know, if you make a hundred plus movies, not all of them are guaranteed to be winners, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it just it seems like Hitchcock really found like a great music right here. Um, Cause I mean, in between this and Vertigo, it just James Stewart just, brings that paranoia in a great a great way in a an interesting way um you know oh yeah oh yeah i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a big bright shining star all right tommy who is the star of the movie i i mean james stewart obviously i mean this movie's cat uh this is the type of movie when, like, you know, the character who's suspicious of, like, the neighbor or something like that, that actor is just a bummer or just not captivating at all. The movie just falls apart immediately because uh, it's just like, uh, who cares? But he really just makes it captivating. He really makes you care for, uh, you know, his character. He really gives you just the heart of this movie and make, uh, gives you an interesting through line throughout of, like, you know, the romance thing of, like, you know, and the broken leg thing is a great twist or a great little angle on this too. It makes him a vulnerable character. Um, so when Brandon Burr breaks into the apartment in this movie, you're scared for him. You're really, you know, in his shoes. Yeah, uh, I would also say James Stewart. Um, the fact that he has to give the entire performance from a chair and hanging out of a window uh, exclusively. Uh, it speaks a lot to him and we we just we get to learn a lot about what motivates him as a photographer that he's just a true adrenaline junkie and you know as we said like it's it feels unrealistic to be like 
I wouldn't marry Grace Kelly because she deserves a better life than than what I can offer her. But he's somebody that seems to be very in tune and has a, a foot down on what his life is and what he wants out of his life. And it's kind of refreshing to 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 get that perspective from a character. Um, so I'm going to go Gene Stewart, but Grace Kelly also gave a fantastic performance. Um, one of the iconic starlets of, of that era, uh, probably in her most iconic performance. Yeah, I mean, she was just a great Cat Fane love interest. And just like, I was just, the way she interacted James Stewart, her chemistry just bounced off the screen right there. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, and you know, despite Hitchcock having his murmurs of being an asshole on set to his actors um he always seemed to be able to get the performers to just feel genuine and feel connected and it's very nice to 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 see that come to life in this in this movie ah are you ready comedy partner waka waka all right tommy would rear window work as a muppet adaptation I think you could get an angle on it, but this movie's not wacky enough. And like, what, like Kermit would just be like, <laughs> I think the angle would be that Kermit, his uh, puppeteer is just, uh, his hand is broken or something like that. So that's why you can't go, you can't move at all or something. Well, but I, I feel like you could do a lot of wacky gags in the window. Like, I feel like that's where you would just make it a Muppet movie. It's just, oh, like, yeah. All the wacky are coming out of the sink or the Swiss it's, chef is across the street. Yeah. You could just, you could have, you could have everybody in that apartment complex, and I think you could do a lot with it. Uh, yeah. I think it would be interesting to see. But, yeah, I don't see Disney making a remake of a Hitchcock movie when they just released The Little Mermaid in theater. So. Yeah, well, there's a meme that I think I shared on our page uh, today uh, that was just like, Disney shouldn't be doing these remakes. They should just be doing Muppet remakes. I mean, like, you know, you do uh, Beauty and the Beast, and uh, the Beast is you know, just a regular human. And everyone's like, oh, he's so hideous. And he becomes a Muppet at the end. It's like, oh, that's great. Oh, you know, you can just, you just plug him into all the fairy tales. Just do that. I mean, we have Muppets of Wizard of Oz. Give us more shit like that, Disney. Come on. That's what we really want. We want the Muppets here, not all this other shit. <laughs> it's like they don't know. It's like they don't listen to our podcast. If they listen to our podcast, we'd be billionaires by now, basically. Essentially. Um, <laughs> so, Tommy... Uh, review time. Give me your score out of five. Um, so yeah, I mean, I did talk earlier about how um, this movie in some ways hasn't aged perfectly for me. Um, I do think the score or the lack of score sometimes has taken me out. Um, there, I feel like there's some moments in this movie that could have been more suspenseful. Um, you know, looking at more of modern lens, uh, with you know, better score. I mean, especially the moment where he's looking across the way and Raymond Burr notices him. And says like, oh my god, he knows me or something like that. And I just think the music in this kind of let me down that moment, and I felt like just took me out and just didn't really get me in the mindset I should have. So um, it, it it does feel tricky from a modern perspective. I'm gonna give this more of a three point five out of five. I did like this, but I wasn't fully engaged historically wise. Though this movie, of course, is inspiration for so many different other thrillers. So it's a great, but I don't think that. A lot of this has aged perfectly well for me. So so I'm going to give this a four out of five. I really like this movie a lot. I think it does keep suspense in there. I think when you compare it to something like Vertigo, though, um, 
you can kind of see the leaps and bounds difference um, in the the suspense in that movie. Um, I think limiting yourself just to a backyard strictly is is impressive. I think it's impressive the staging that he's able to do to make the world. You never it never breaks your illusion from the world when things are going on. <clears throat> so for me, four out of five. Highly recommend it. Another Hitchcock movie down. We got like 130 something else to go, but we'll get through them. <laughs> yeah, we'll sure. get through. What's the what's the one with the fucking uh, planes? Is it North by Northwest? North by Northwest. We can do that one next month. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be next one. Uh, Cary Grant, first Cary Grant movie I'm going to see. So there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Tommy. Any final thoughts? Um, yeah. Did no one in this apartment complex ever hear of blinds? No, not that was invented in 1955. <laughs> <laughs> back in the 50s they're like oh blinds uh windows can be open all the time who cares about privacy fuck it <laughs> that's what i was thinking throughout i was like come on like do you just not care <laughs> if i was in one of those apartment complexes and like i just knew that like my neighbors could see me across the way i would never have my fucking windows open whatsoever <laughs> well, that would be for the, your neighbor's benefit too yeah probably most likely <laughs> um so anyway, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media um, at Pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And uh, leave us a five-star review. Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcast really helps out the show. And uh, you know, next uh, next week, we're going to be covering uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Temple of Doom, a movie I have never seen somehow. I've seen Raiders a lot. I've seen King of the Crystal Skull, but I haven't seen Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom is the biggest... Uh the biggest differentiator of the Indiana Jones. Uh, I haven't watched it in a couple of years, so I'm excited to dive back into it and all the stuff that'll make blue haired people on Twitter get very, very upset that, that, that it was filmed in the eighties. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, are, are you, are you excited for uh Dow destiny or now? <laughs> yes and no. I, I know it's going to be a train wreck. Like I could just feel it in my bones that it's yeah. going to have the whole like, Oh, Indiana Jones is just use a man because that's what a man was. But now it's just time for and it's like, guys, like you're talking taking talking about like a majority of people's favorite movie character, and you're going yeah. to ruin him in his last outage. Good, good job, guys. Yeah, Smart it has moves. a fifty percent so far in Rotten Tomatoes. So I mean, we're we're gearing up for that. So, but uh, Temple of Doom, can't wait. I've heard uh, this movie is fucking bonkers, and uh, you know, Kali Ma heart getting ripped out. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> It's definitely bonkers. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I know this was a shorter one than normal, but as you can tell, my voice is ready to go. So we'll see you all next week.